Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath it. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu. And I think what this one is going to be called this time round is Living History. And the idea behind this was, I'm going to say by the time this is released, perhaps about a month ago, I decided to run a little bit of a questionnaire, if you like, on my Facebook page, which is called History Gems with a G. It's got over 90,000 subscribers. Thank you very much for that. And my Twitter account, which is at Gem Daduchu. And what I was trying to get at was the phenomenon of when you're living through history, it doesn't seem quite as historical as when you've had a time to think about it. And this leads into a really interesting conversation about what exactly is history? How is it perceived? And also, moving forwards, do we get it right? So this allows me to tell you, if you like, the history of history. Oh, very, very clever, Jim. Oh, good for you. Sorry about that. You'll see where I'm going with this. And then I will throw out the questionnaire on this podcast. Maybe some of you have already sort of thrown out your answers while I was posting all this stuff on social media. But I found the answers really interesting. And I also found it interesting that while I gave people the ability to go off the list, some people felt the need to criticize the list. And also some people kind of didn't enter into the spirit of it, which is also interesting and tells you something about social media. Once again, this is a chance to say, look, social media, real double-edged sword. It is an incredible innovation. Maybe that should have been on the list. Indeed, one person did say, surely the World Wide Web is the most powerful thing that we've lived through, the highest impact moment in our lives. And do you know what? I think that's a really good one to add to the list. But at the same time, like any tool that we've created, like fire, like the steam engine, like guns, <laughs> although there's really only one use for guns. Might this death ray of yours not also have some... Well, some military application? The giant death ray? A military application? Yeah. Fire protects us, it cooks our food, but it also burns. So we have to be careful with all of our inventions, particularly guns, obviously, because, yeah, they just generally shoot things. You don't really use them in, like, woodworking or something like that. A gun is not a weapon, it's a tool. 
like a butcher knife or a harpoon or an alligator. If you don't know, the very first book that is considered a history book is Herodotus, the father of history, and he's wrote the histories. That's what it's called, Historiorica. This is where I immediately jump into the wonderful world of social media, where it is a Greek word. It means literally stories of the past, but history, in, in other words. It is a fluke, if you like, that the first few letters spell out his, because you do get people saying, what about her story, her story? And it's like, okay, fine, you don't understand what the word means in the first place, and you're you're compounding certain things here. Now, for the record, yes, we need more women in history. Women make up slightly more than 50% of the global population, and yet most of our stories from the past are male-orientated and male-centric because of the patriarchy, because of the inherent sexism in pretty much all societies into the 20th century. It's still in the 20th century, even in a relatively liberal democracy like Britain, where women have to get the vote. And for the record, they got the vote here in Britain before they got the vote in America. But women, even after getting the vote, were still, if you listen to the marriage vows, were property of their husbands into, well into the 20th century, which is ludicrous when you think about it. But today, women have difficulty. It's, it's, it's only been in the last four or five years that women have the, had the right in Saudi Arabia to drive a car on their own. You cannot today go into Saudi Arabia as a single woman unless you're being collected by a male chaperone or a male member of the family at the airport. That is the world we live in right now. So there's still a lot of work to be done with women's rights out there, and I'm all for it and 100% on your side. Although I'm aware that I'm a white middle-aged guy, so, you know, we're kind of the problem, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry, okay? There is a lot of sex bias throughout the whole of history, and there's nothing I can do about that. I'm sorry about that. But that doesn't mean that the that history automatically excludes women either. And talking about herstory is just a bit fatuous, to be honest. However, like I say, the proper conversation about more female-centric and more important women in history, we need to be doing stuff like that. I really worked hard when I had a slightly different format to my Facebook page. I made sure that literally every week, there would be a woman from history I would write about. And I would make sure that it wasn't just your standard Boudicca's Joan of Arc, Queen Victoria, or something like that, because those are the ones who keep getting trotted out. And there are, if you do dig, there are lots of interesting women in history. For example, just, just going to throw this out there right now, but people love talking about Boudicca in the West, but basically her rebellion lasted a year and she failed. You've got However, Queen Zenobia in the east, in modern-day Syria, who fought for years against the Romans and defeated multiple Roman armies, and while she did eventually fail, they had to send multiple legions over into the Middle East to try and conquer her, and exactly what happened to her at the end has sort of like become a bit legendary in and of itself, so you might want to find out more about Zenobia. So yeah, so stuff like that is what I'm putting on the Facebook page. But we then get, so Herodotus is writing just before the Hellenic era in Greece. So we're talking about sort of 600 BC, roughly that sort of time. A little bit after Homer, who wrote the Troy, you know, the Iliad, that was about 800 BC. Let Achilles fight for honour. 
Let Agamemnon fight for power and let the gods decide which man to glorify. And all the famous stuff in Greece is sort of like 500 BC and, and later on, like 480, Battle of Thermopylae, you know, the 300 Spartans. This is Sparta! We're into the 330s with Alexander the Great. So Herodotus is already around. Then, obviously, we have the Bible, which some people say is a historical record. Archaeologists near Mount Sinai have discovered what is believed to be a missing page from the Bible and is believed to read all characters portrayed within this book are fictitious and any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Well, let's go back to Herodotus for a moment. He was the first guy who wrote stuff down. There's clearly a lot of legends in there, but one of the key things that he manages to fail, which is 101 in a history book, is no dates anywhere about anything no dates so if you're going to criticize the bible for the same thing because again no dates anywhere it is clearly not meant to be read as a historical manual and what is interesting about the bible is it mentions people that sometimes are legendary sometimes clearly really existed and sometimes it is verified by other sources like for example, when the Assyrians come smashing into Judea, we've got the Syrian records as well, the Assyrian records. And, and that shows obviously a different perspective, but it, it at least verifies that these events happened. But there are other things in the Bible which is claimed, which again, we have other sources which pretty much say that that's either a misunderstanding or it's got conflated with something else or it just never happened. Now, of course, you can say, well, I'm going to pick the Bible every time, but no matter what human beings have written, it's always biased in some way. Listen to my episode on biographies for more on that. And yes, yeah, so it is good to get several different perspectives on these things. But we start getting in the time of Hellenic Greece and Alexander the Great, and we sort of like move into the Romans as well. And we do start getting dates and we start getting things sort of verified. Here's a fun fact. How did the Roman Empire date time? Because they weren't going to talk about AD and BC. That would have been ludicrous to them, particularly somebody like Augustus, who ruled over both eras, if you like. He started in the BC, so you can't say he started in the BCs because... You know, you don't know that Jesus is going to be born, do you? And, you know, obviously this is all based on a Christian calendar, which the Roman Empire wasn't Christian until we're into the 300s AD. So how did they date things? And indeed, all around the world, we just assume that it's like 2022, which is a Christian way of looking at things. If you're Jewish, however, you're in the 5000s. If you're in North Korea, you're in the 100s because it's dated from the time of when there was the sort of like communist takeover in Korea from the birth of their first leader, I should say. If, however, you're a Muslim, you're starting it when the Prophet Muhammad moved to Medina. So they're in the 1400s. So look, it, basically time datings, calendars are kind of arbitrary. Somebody at some point had to pick year one and yeah, it's sort of dependent on your culture, really, as to what that year one is. So with the Roman Empire, they actually kept resetting it. You would talk about how it was the fifth year of the reign of Hadrian, because people didn't need to know day to day about what happened 400 years ago. And they had storytellers and things like that to entertain them. So yeah, it kept being rebooted back to year one whenever you got a new emperor, which I 
find kind of interesting. It's really, once we get into the Middle Ages, a good example is the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle created by King Alfred of Wessex, also known as Alfred the Great, where he set his scribes up to start trying to fill in the gaps from the birth of Jesus all the way up to the events happening this year from his perspective. So what you get is this marvellous chronicle where sometimes there are gaps of like, 35 years as the scribes just don't know anything about it or the only event that happened in that year is they managed to work out that a saint was born that year so nothing happened in britain whatsoever but we know that saint andrew was born so it's it's really interesting obviously as it gets closer into time it fills out the dates better and better the most famous one perhaps being 793 where we get this very passionate view of the arrival of pagan men from the north the vikings in other words and it's not just you know i'm using western cultures but obviously lots of different cultures and civilizations are starting to write down the deeds of people in the past and so that's history now there's the famous line by napoleon which is history are lies that we have all agreed upon there is the one that i really hate which is history is written by the winners which is so demonstrably not true as to me wanting to ban that phrase. A great example of it is the fact that if your country lost a war, it was sort of felt somehow hard done by, that's remember, that becomes part of the national consciousness. You lost, but you remember it better than the country that won, whatever it might be. So that's a great example. And if you think about it, a lot of national stories start with some kind of great injustice which the other country couldn't kind of care less about they've got their own stories to worry about no taxation without representation the other one is i mentioned the vikings there the vikings won okay and yet they were pagan and they were lived in a semi-literate society they weren't writing down history later on they wrote down some sagas and they did have writing but it was largely sort of runes which was considered almost like a semi-magical writing you'd write it to show where your borders of your lands were you might write it on a sword to imbue it with power from the gods but what you didn't do is sit down and write chronicles in Norse runes. So yeah, the Vikings are an absolutely an example of a bunch of people where history is written by the losers because they were all the literate monks being terrorized by the Vikings, which leads us to wonder exactly how bad were the Vikings because if you've lost, you're always going to portray the baddies as the bad ones. Same thing with the Mongols. They built the second largest empire in world history. Literally everything we've got about them is written by everybody else. And of course, once we do get into the Middle Ages, we get things written by all sides. So yeah, you, you know, if, let's move on a little bit. World War One. do you not think that there aren't German chronicles of what happened in World War One or World War Two? Of course there are. So yeah, it, clearly history is not written by the victors. Now, obviously the victors get to set the story in their own country but again for the people who have been subjugated they're going to hold a grudge probably for longer than the victors remember the glow of victory so there we are we're into this sort of period here where nowadays it's kind of a almost a free-for-all if you like a democratization of what is history and what isn't history and and so there is this through line it it took us literally millennia for us to work out how to write and literally millennia for us to turn around and say do you know what maybe we should start storing 
stories of what was going on. That's not to say that before Herodotus, people didn't write anything about sort of like current events or things like that, but you got things very, very vague. You know, for example, if you ask any Egyptologist, they'll tell you that the early dynasties, you know, it's like numbers one to 20, you know, there, there can be some real high points of information, but there's sometimes it's like, we know that Pharaoh existed and that's it. That's all we got from them, particularly the first few dynasties. We're into sort of semi-legendary at that point. And just before the first dynasty, by the way, there literally was a scorpion king. The scorpion king made a pact with the dark god Anubis that if Anubis would spare his life and let him conquer his enemies, he would give him his soul. I love that fact. So with, with that in mind, you know, there, there are these bits and bobs that people have carefully woven together. The Battle of Kadesh, which is between the Assyrians and the ancient Egyptians, that was about 1500 BC. That's the first bit of evidence that we have about actual battle tactics. We know battles and the fall of cities had happened before that, but it literally, you know, the chronicles would just simply say, the sources would just basically say, this city was captured by X. We don't know how. We don't know how difficult it was. We don't know if there was a massacre afterwards. But with the Battle of Kadesh, we actually know about the basic events that happened in that battle. So that's, I mean, I guess three and a bit thousand years ago. So we've had quite a lot of time of learning about sort of military history, if you like, too. So with all that sort of like wrapped around, I now want to sort of like put it into perhaps your personal and my personal perspective. Of course, exactly how old you are will change whether we're talking about grandparents or parents or things like that. But hopefully you'll enjoy this bit as I talk about what it was like being a kid listening to your parents' stories or grandparents' stories and then thinking about today because that's what my questionnaire was all about. It's like, can we spot history now. And I, like I say, I will actually sort of like read out the examples and the, the basic rules of it, and you can have a little game about it yourself. Let's play a game. I'm in my late 40s, so therefore my parents, they were, I guess, in their prime in the 60s, and I have a grandparent who served in World War II. And I think if you are kind of my age, you grew up with the media talking about World War II all the time. Let's face it, for the record, World War II is the large, single largest conflict in global history. And the largest battle ever fought was the Battle of Stalingrad, where over the course of the months of conflict, more than two million men clashed in that city. A, terrifying statistic there. So World War II is quite rightly a bit of a fascination, although I have noticed that over the years it's beginning to wane as that generation sadly passes on. But as a kid, there was a little part of me not thinking, oh God, I really want another war. I knew that war was bad, but a feeling of almost jealousy. It's like, you got to see all this stuff actually unfold. You know, you have stories from various grandparents and things like that about how maybe they were kids during World War II and they remember being shipped out of London or something like that, a major city, because of the Blitz. And so this has become part of the culture, particularly in the West. Right now, you can go to Berlin and there is a T-34 tank there memorialising the Soviet Union's capture of Berlin. This is Berlin happy about the fact that they got invaded 
and millions of Germans died because Germany recognizes that they were definitely the bad guys in World War II. But this is standing there in the 21st century when things have changed quite a lot. Obviously. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Actually, there's some other meaning to that now at the time of recording and probably when you're listening to it as well. So history is everywhere. This is the thing that I get whenever I do talks on history or podcasts or you know, things on social media. I do quite regularly get phrases from people, which is basically, I wish you'd been my history teacher. And the problem is that history teachers have to tell a certain syllabus and how important are dates and how important are movements and they don't get to pick the topics. And I like to pick topics that I know people will find interesting. It's a bit like the Corn Laws of the 19th century in England were a huge deal in terms of the changes to society. But while they are very important, they are very boring to explain. And so I pity anybody who has to try and teach a class of kids who kind of don't want to be there about the Corn Laws. And that is why I will never do a podcast on them, okay? You have my word on that. So let's move into kind of what my grandparents were talking to me about and my parents. So my grandfather, American, served in the US Navy in the Pacific in World War II. Now, my wife is as British as they come, basically, and one of her grandfathers was just slightly too young to be in the war, but he 
was conscripted, as every young man was in the 1940s, and he ended up being in Palestine just after the war, which was part of the British Empire, and he remembers being shot at by both Palestinians and Jewish immigrants as well. So, yeah, that's an absolutely horrible moment. Everyone's kind of forgotten that, unless you're Palestinian or Jewish. But it's an example where, actually, as a British soldier, you would think, well, after World War II, it's much safer. It's like, no, there were some areas where it was significantly more dangerous, and that would be one of them. So I've got that experience kind of coursing through my my children's veins, as it were. And then on the other side with the American, he had a good World War II in the sense that he never got to see any action. And his stories were kind of ones of almost tomfoolery. He was a great man. I absolutely loved him. He was a very noble man as well. But his stories reminded me of a very much forgotten Henry Fonda movie called Mr. Roberts, which came out in the 1950s. Roberts! Roberts, you get up here in one quick hurry. I'm giving you an order. This is finally, finally the showdown. We are going to have it out right here and now. Now, my grandfather was actually on a minesweeper, but these mines, they, they were so bad at sweeping mines, they were basically taken off active duty. They had to, sw- basically the idea is they had a wooden boat so the magnetic mines would not be attracted to the ship. You then cut the chain of the mine, the mine bobs to the surface, and you then shoot one of the spikes on the mine, and it detonates, and you, that's how you clear the area. Except there were such bad shots, they had to get really close to the mine when they shot it, and obviously when the Navy heard that, it's like, maybe you guys should just calm down a little bit. So anyway, so yeah, he never sort of saw the horrors of Iwo Jima or anything like that. I also have a great uncle, who was his brother-in-law, for the record, a great uncle who served in the U.S. Marines in World War II. He jokes that he ended World War II. And the reason for that is because the day he signed up for the U.S. Marine Corps was turned out the day that Japan surrendered. So he consoled himself that he was now going to have to spend like more than a year overseas in Japan and the Pacific, that at least I scared the Japanese into surrendering. I was in World War II. I don't know what, thank you very much. I was not gonna take credit for the entire victory, folks, but (laughs) certainly now that you've recognized the part that I played, I can hardly lie about it. Anyway, so you get these stories. These stories, if you like, have been lionized and almost mythologized by our generation because, quite frankly, what happened in World War II, if World War II hadn't have happened and you just wrote it out, it would have been like, bad science fiction or bad near future. It's like, oh my goodness, we end with nuclear bombs. You know, there's an entire attempt at wiping out an entire population. The Eastern Front is just just the biggest meat grinder in history. You couldn't make up the amount of casualties being caused between the Wehrmacht and the Red Army, and even the Red Army inflicting damage on itself. You know, this stuff quite rightly can become quite obsessive. And I hope I am not a religious person, but I pray to whichever God there is out there that we never have to go through anything like that again. I'm not sure the world could survive it, particularly now with nuclear weapons. So then we come to my parents' generation, and my mother, as I said, being American, let's face it, her father was American, that's why, you know, she basically met my father in swinging 60s London, but... Before that, this is a woman who sort of like grew up in that bit again of that classic Americana that we've all seen. She remembers the civil rights movement. She remembers the horror of finding out that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy 
died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. The Cuba Missile Crisis, again, because of American media, even in Britain, we're aware of these events and know that they're a big deal. And so as a child, while I recognize that none of these things were good things or nice things, I mean, obviously civil rights for the record, very, very good, but obviously the, the troubles around them and to get them, the, these basic civil rights, horrible. There was a part of me as a kid thinking, you know, is it over? Is, is that the end of sort of history? We don't have anything like that. And, and that's always stuck in my mind. I remember when the, the sheer visceral recall my mother had of the assassination of John F. Kennedy and just sort of sitting there in the kitchen hearing my mother, who is not a big historical storyteller, and just sort of sitting there going, wow, this, this meant so much to those people at the time. And this happened before I was even born as well. So, wow. And this leads me, led me on to, it's always been in the back of my mind. And a lot's happened in the last two and a half years in particular. But I thought, well, okay, let, let's spread it back. I have a really good friend of mine who actually, full disclosure, having dinner with him this evening. I wonder how that will go. Now, I will be telling him about this. I will not name him. But we had a talk about, it's like, you know, what, what do you think the biggest thing that's happened in our lives? And, you know, went backwards and forwards. And I will now go on to the questionnaire before I sort of taint you, if you like. So I was going for sort of like 35 years, all right? So basically I was starting in the late 80s because, yes, other things had happened in my lifetime. But let's see what you think of this list. And, and I'm asking for the most impactful moment of history out of all of these or anything else that you can think of, okay? And that's the key thing, most impactful. Not the one that sort of affected you the most, but the one that sort of caused most ripples in history, in politics, in, in global current affairs, okay? Now I start in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Elsewhere, they were swarming over the wall, hacking at it with hammers, picks and chisels, clawing at it with bare hands. Then 1991, the collapse of the Soviet Union. I then, I'm having to do this from recall because I don't have it in front of me right now, but I then think I skip to 2001, where we get 9-11, 2003, the war in Iraq, 2008, the financial crisis, then 2020, COVID, 2021, the January 6th insurrection, and then 2022, the war in Ukraine. That was the list that I threw out there. So have a little think, you know, put this on pause for a moment and think which one of those speaks to you the most or which one of those doesn't quite cut the mustard and I would replace it with something. It's a really interesting idea. So put, put it on pause, have a think, have a little bit of internal dialogue. I don't maybe ask your mates or your family around you that list plus anything else as well. Because of course, even if you've got kids, they're going to know some of these things. I mean, Ukraine's still going on at time of recording and I suspect by the time it's released as well. So with that in mind, and obviously COVID's still out there in the ecosystem as well. So I think that there were some really interesting ones that were thrown out, and I think that there were some fairly fatuous ones as well. Some people pointed out you forgot the war in the Balkans. I think that's valid. But I would therefore argue that the war in the Balkans ultimately changed the world less than Ukraine already has. So if we're going to pick a war in Eastern Europe, Ukraine beats the Balkans. And probably, with regrets, by the time Ukraine's over, more people will have died as well. So... Look, I don't know how you want to stack these things up. I had Arab Spring. I had, I had slightly annoyingly Afghanistan. And it's like, well, 9-11 led on to Afghanistan. So clearly those two things are related. If, if 9-11 had never happened, America and the rest of 
of the countries would never have bothered invading Afghanistan. And a number of people, obviously these are British people, suddenly latched onto the Falklands War. And I think that's a pretty fatuous one. That might have affected you, and indeed, I remember it. I'm not allowed to say how many planes joined the raid, but I counted them all out, and I counted them all back. Their pilots were unhurt, cheerful, and jubilant, giving thumbs-up signs. I had one person try to argue, and I, I think this is valid if you're going to look at it, it's like it really changed the course of Britain. We've been in this period of what seemed like terminal decline, but it actually sort of G'd up the country and sort of made us look like a power again to the rest of the world. Fair, but let's be honest, the Falklands War affected two countries. Again, Ukraine has affected far more than two countries, and a lot more people have died, and, and geopolitics have changed far more. The thing about the Falklands war was basically, it was a 19th century colonial war, which nobody, neither the Argentinians nor the British ever thought they would actually fight, and yet it happened. So I, that would be my pushback on that one. Somebody did say the World Wide Web, and it's like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Maybe the World Wide Web is the single most potent tool humanity has ever created. And going to the Arab Spring, the Arab Spring couldn't have been started without modern telecommunications and, and the World Wide Web. So, you know, some of these sort of like start tangling. And somebody else said that the fall of Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union are kind of one of the same thing. And I would agree with that. So I'm not saying that people were outright right or wrong. Oh, uh, um, you know, like I say, I think there's a, if you're going to use it from a historical context, the Falkland Islands, you can kind of talk down off the list. The one that we can definitely say we can talk down off the list is the death of Princess Diana. It wasn't the same as JFK. And while it was a big deal at the time, huge deal, if you don't remember 1997, death of Diana, then yeah, you don't kind of get how, what shockwaves it sent, but it didn't change anything. She wasn't in power. JFK was the president of the United States, which led to a change of power. She was the divorced ex-wife of the future King of England, which 25 years later still isn't the King of England. It was a personal tragedy, but it didn't change the world. I guess one of the things it did do is it showed the rest of the world that Britain can mourn and grieve. We're sort of known for our coldness and stiff upper lipidness, but there was an extraordinary outpouring of grief around it. It's, I'm going to say it's a bit of colour to late 20th century history, but that is not going to be the thing. I guarantee in 200 years time, that is not going to be the thing that people remember from the 1990s or early 2000s. I thought another one that was quite cool was AIDS, but that wasn't an event, that was a disease. I think we can sort of call COVID more of an event, if you like. And I don't know what the statistics are, but I suspect seeing that the World Health Organization has upped it to more than 15 million, maybe more people have died from COVID. And indeed, COVID has disrupted life a lot more than AIDS. AIDS can basically only be transmitted through either blood or sexual contact, and a bit like monkeypox, if you like. And so, if you like, it was easier in theory to control than something like COVID, which is airborne. You know, you 
don't have to be near anybody in theory and you can catch it whereas you kind of know the risks if you're having unprotected sex in 1988 let's say some really interesting ones thrown out there and i of course would love to get your thoughts on on what's happened here you can you know i've had the debate already on facebook and twitter but if this is sort of stimulated if you're like i didn't see that i missed that gem love to get your thoughts on that as well but here's the thing as i say when we look back at world war ii or the assassination of archduke franz ferdinand or the black death or whatever now enough time has passed that we can clearly see that there has been huge upheaval and impact and change brought on by these events but when you're living through them you just get on with them make no mistake about it there will be books written about covid i have actually already written two one a novel and one actually with a doctor a professor actually of medicine who created this wonderful idea of like a diary of of covid that's by professor justin stebbing i ghost wrote it and we worked very closely together he actually after the effort he saw me put in he wanted me to be credited as co-author but the publishers went no it's just going to stick with you so if you want to see one about a, a sort of diary of, of, of coronavirus 2020 we're specifically writing through he did an amazing job of pulling together all this health information from around the world so it isn't just about lockdown in britain or virus deniers in america or something it's about the fact that in west africa for example they not only had to deal with covid but also an outbreak of ebola and how the Japanese use this legendary kind of mermaid type figure to educate children in Japan about the dangers of coronavirus. I mean, genuinely, it's a global view of how COVID changed the world in 2020, which again, I can't say AIDS did that in one year, you know, changed how everybody acted, etc. So yes, I mean, books have literally already been written, but oh, by the way, the historical novel that I've written about it is called edge of life because viruses can be classified as sort of being either dead or alive and that's actually a historical novel where i compare a nurse in new york basically in 2020 and 2021 with a nurse in new york in 1920 and 20 1921 so it's a comparison of the societal upheavals the violence against black people it was black lives matter now and a hundred years ago literally there was rioting in the streets against black communities there was a virus in that case spanish flu there was a global health pandemic so it was one of these things where at the time i thought i can't write a history book about this the comparisons are too superficial to be taken seriously as a history book but as a sense of drama and explaining the unfolding events it works pretty well as a book so there we go so edge of life gem deducci if you want to grab one of those all my historical novels sadly have been self-published so you have to get that on amazon you can get it as an ebook or paperback and look it's not just me who's written them as well there'll be more and more and, and if you like the definitive covid book probably is going to come out in 10 years time and everyone's going to lord it and i bet they will have sort of riffed off some of the stuff that i've already talked about so yeah i i'm going to say that covid i mean the fall of the soviet union is it, it, i think it's an argument going back to that that mate of mine, we were having an, an, an intelligent debate, not a shouting match, about fall of the Soviet uh, Union was a big deal. You know, more than 70 years of this way of living, you know, the whole Cold War, back to World War II, that was fought by the Soviet Union. That's a big, big deal. And it affected hundreds of millions of people across the globe in multiple time zones, etc. 
I think it's either that or COVID, personally. I think, because again, it, it, how quickly we forget these things, but none of us have had experienced a 12-week lockdown ever before in our lives, and nor had our grandparents either, or our parents. That was a big deal. That's going to be taught, definitely. Just like we talk about the Great Fire of London in English junior schools. So, yeah, it, it's one of these things that absolutely will be talked about and will be a historical event. But that's not to say that the World Wide Web certainly isn't up there as well. I'm going to say those it's the three of those that perhaps are going to be the most impactful when looking back. That's not to in any way denigrate things like the war in Ukraine, etc. But that's my views. Love to get your thoughts. And it does show you, it is worth remembering that sometimes history is only obviously history when the dust has settled. When you're living through it, it's just Tuesday. You know, do you remember what it was like in lockdown? You you knew that this was weird, particularly the first month. It was very odd, but then you just got on with it. You know, you could be worried about the virus or you could cook dinner. Okay, simple as that. You had children to worry about. You had money to try and bring in. You had a job to do. You know, people don't have time to soak in the historical impact of these moments. They just need to keep going. And you have too. You definitely lived through some of the most historic moments in history. I've done a long list of there, and I said like three of them are the top ones, but that's not to sort of like dissipate things like, for example, Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, Arab Spring, etc., etc. So thanks very much for listening. As always, another podcast coming soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.